Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. This tonight, uh, we're in part two of God Blesses Peacemakers, and so we're just going to hopefully tie up any loose ends tonight, and uh, then obviously Tuesday we're going to have a Thanksgiving-themed service, and then we'll be starting into that Christmas theme. So that's where we're headed. So tonight, one more time, let's go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. Praise the Lord. If you would stand for the reading of the word. Let's read it together, shall we? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. One more time. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God of God. Father, thank you once again for the powerful Word of God that touches our lives when we allow it to, when we cooperate with the Spirit. Continue to touch us tonight as we conclude this series that we have been in for the last several weeks. I pray you just drive these points home to our hearts. In Jesus' name, all God's children say amen. Amen. You can be seated. Trust you is able to get a study guide if you want one. Take a few notes. Follow along. If you didn't slip your hand up, our good brothers in the back will provide you with one. All right. Um, many of us know the Beatitudes is what they've been labeled. And it seems that with each Beatitude, Christ gives another nail that's driven into the coffin that houses the corpse of a false perception of salvation. The false perception says that a person can be born again, regenerate child of God, without being changed. So that we obviously, hopefully see, is a twisted perception that says a person can inherit eternal life even if their attitudes and their actions are like the attitudes and the actions of the world. Right? Um, And so, one after another, the Beatitudes tell us that the blessings of eternity or the blessings of eternal life. How many want eternal life? Okay, the Beatitudes tells us that the blessings of eternal life will be given only to those who have become new creations in Christ. All right? For example, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. If we don't obtain mercy, how many know we're going to receive judgment? 
And if we don't see God, as that beatitude says, that means we're not making it to heaven. And how many know there's only one other destination we would arrive at? Hmm? And that's H-E double toothpicks. That's how one radio preacher said it because he said we don't talk about hell anymore. He says we don't even say it anymore. He says in seminary they told us not to say hell behind the pulpit. Folks, isn't it a shame that people use it in their speech just about every other day? But you can't. <laughs> We've got seminaries that say, don't preach on hell. Well, how many know hell is a reality? And the Beatitudes remind us that if we aren't called the children of God, then we are outside the family of God. And so these are all descriptions of final salvation, and it is promised only to the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. So one commentator said it. He said that the Beatitudes are like long spikes holding down the lid of the coffin on the false teaching that says, Oh, if you just believe in Jesus, then you'll go to heaven regardless of whether you're not merciful, regardless of whether you're not pure in heart, regardless of whether you're not, you're a peacemaker. Listen, how many know from the beginning to the end, the Sermon on the Mount cries out, basically, Jesus is saying, get yourself a new heart. Become a new person because judgment is at the door if transformation does not become a reality. And so at the very end, if you look at the very end of this sermon in Matthew, if you look at uh, uh, chapter 7, verse 26, the Lord, the Lord himself is, I just picture him proclaiming above the noise of the crowd that had gathered to hear this sermon. And he, he, he basically says, everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, he said, he's likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. How many remember how that turned out? Anybody? <laughs> In other words, a life of disobedience to the Sermon on the Mount will not stand when the storm comes. No matter what you say, you believe. In other words, uh, uh, if, we, if we move on into our topic that we've been talking about the last... Uh, two Wednesdays uh, with being peacemakers and uh, another passage calls it sowers of discord. You know, I think last week we, we started out and, and we said when it comes to the uh, life of uh, a believer in the body of Christ, we fall into one of three categories. You remember what those were? Uh, we said it was the peace breaker category or the peace faker category or the peacemaker category. So into a world that is ugly with violence, ugly with hate, we are sent by Christ to be peacemakers. We aren't given the choice. How many know we're not given the choice of whether or not we would like to be a peacemaker? We are certainly not given the choice of what kind of world we'd like to live in. As bad as things may be, this is the only world we have. 
And if we're going to be obedient to our Lord, then we will embrace the activity of the peacemaker. Okay, so notice on your study guide, let's, let's take a journey here. <clears throat> Five scriptural principles on the practice of peacemaking. All right, number one, peacemakers are bridge builders. So at its heart, peacemaking tries to build bridges to people because it doesn't want the chasm of animosity to remain. Whether uh, it, it, wants a, it wants a connection, it wants reconciliation, it wants harmony. And so it tries to show what may be the only courtesy. How many know sometimes the only courtesy an enemy of ours will tolerate maybe is just a simple greeting? But, but I think a peacemaker, let's, let's be practical, Broadway. A peacemaker can look the enemy right in the eye and say, good morning, Bob, or Bill, or Brian, or Bernard, whatever your name is. And they can say it with a longing for peace in their heart. Not with a phony gloss of politeness to cover their anger. Peacemakers take whatever practical initiatives they can to make peace, beginning with something as simple as a greeting. And the truth is, we've got people in the church world today who've not done so much to greet a fellow church attender in years. Hello. Now, how many know Christ wouldn't call that being a peacemaker? Oh, this may be uncomfy territory. You're thinking, man, I should have stayed home and watched Joel Osteen. I could get a positive, encouraging message and look at Joel's beautiful, gleaming teeth about right now. Well, if, how many know if something is wrong between two people, one of them must take the initiative to build a bridge? Have you ever, now, have you ever seen the old cable bridge being built in days before they had the massive beams lifted by the modern machines like cranes and things? Anybody ever seen that? Me neither. But I read about it. And they say they, they begin by building a solid base on one side. Then they go to the other side and build a solid base. And then from one side to the other, they stretch a cable. Follow me? That's how it starts. And once they get the cable all the way across, they take it and they loop back. And they go to this side again. Then they loop it and go back to this side again. And they loop it and go back to this side. Again and again. Until they have a network of cables stretching from one side to the other. Picture that now. Then they would throw some timbers across those cables. How many know pretty soon you got a bridge? But a lot of times the problem in making peace is that nobody's willing to start from their side. Right? with that first little cable 
to get the building process started. History says that when our nation entered uh, World War I, the president of uh, Columbia University uh, there in New York City sent a questionnaire to the entire faculty asking them what they planned to do to help in the war effort. One member of the faculty, who was a pacifist, sent back this answer to the president of Columbia University. Four words, mind my own business. That's what I plan to do, he said. Now, how many know that may be what a pacifist does? But it's not what a peacemaker does. A peacemaker knows that he must take the initiative to do something. Christ is clear on the action, Matthew 5, 23 through 24, where he says, if you come to worship, we discussed this last week, if you recall, you come to worship, you discover that there's a fractured relationship. It says, leave your gift on the altar. Go and be reconciled unto your brother, then return and offer your gift. I truly believe that is the most ignored verse in the entire Bible. Because we don't want to be the first one to move. We say, but why should I go to the person when they're the ones that hurt me? You want a biblical answer to that? Because Jesus says so. How many know conflict is never resolved accidentally? If someone has wronged you and you've wronged someone, action's got to be taken in our peace of mind. And Christ would say our Christian witness depends on taking the first step. Peace awaits that action, that kind of action. Peacemaking may cost us a little skin in the game and some suffering, but that's what a peacemaker does. Number two, peacemakers are willing to enter into the pain of others. You know, that's, that's what Christ did to bring peace between God and, 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 and us. Um, boy, he experienced some pain for that peace, didn't he? Oh, yeah, he did. Uh, the word peacemaker, notice on your study guide in the Greek, comes from a word which means to bind or join together that which is what? Broken. I, I get the, the picture there of a bridge builder again. Peacemakers are those who bind up things that belong together, but they have been broken apart. They've been separated. Christ says that in this world, the children of God will be known as peacemakers. And really, we're uniquely situated to be just that because how many know our citizenship is really in heaven? Amen. Our loyalties transcend national boundaries. Our identity transcends ethnic barriers. Our cause transcends political divides. We are not bound by an identification with earthly social cliques. We are bound by an identification with Christ alone. And since the pathway of the gospel has taken us through the dark corners of our own sin and our own failures, we should have no personal self-righteousness to defend. We know we are as responsible, we are as blameworthy as everyone else for the brokenness of our world. Amen. 
So Christ calls us to enter the pain of others. Weep with those who weep. Every tear we shed, how many know God sees it? When we weep, He weeps with us. Peacemakers join Him in doing the same with others. Number three, peacemakers are discerning. They seek first to listen rather than speak because every situation, how many know, can have a hundred different interpretations. Peacemakers do not believe everything they hear. They don't jump to conclusions. They give the benefit of the doubt quite often. Proverbs 18, 17, He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. You know what that means? It means the one who states his cause or his case first seems right until the other comes and cross-examines him. Hello. How many know there's more than one side to every story? And so the point is, a peacemaker is able to consider all sides to the story, listen to a variety of interpretations. They are able to see a multitude of distinct storylines in any given situation, and they are able to sympathize with the humanity of every player in every situation. And so as we seek to listen, that shows discernment in the ultimate motives that for with which we speak into the situation because discerning peacemakers will always look for practical solutions. How many know change doesn't come from loving peace? It comes by making peace through practical solutions. Number four, peacemakers don't always get peace. Boy, I wish we could say they did. But how many know not every effort to bring peace results in peace? There are conflicts so deep, so strong, that require a great deal of time and effort to heal. How many know there's always going to be those rascals who are not even interested in making peace? I mean, so our call is not to achieve perfection, but to make the effort. So, so, folks, don't equate peacemaking with peace achieving. Because a peacemaker longs for peace, works for peace, sacrifices for peace, but the attainment of peace may not come. And notice Romans 12, 18 is kind of important and speaks to this point because right there Paul says it this way. He says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live what? Peaceably with all men. So the goal of a peacemaker is, if possible, so far as depends on me, I won't let a long-term rupture in this relationship be my fault. I think it was in uh, 1700s, Ben Franklin wrote to John, John Adams one time and said, blessed are the peacemakers. He says, I suppose that is for another world because in this world, they're frequently cursed instead of blessed. And how many know, unfortunately, that's true? Unfortunately, when we read the words of Christ, blessed are the peacemakers, we smile and say, oh, that's nice. But peacemaking is not always nice and enjoyable and charming, is it? 
It can be messy, it can be nasty work, it takes time and emotional energy, and it's, it's somebody described it like crossing a swift flowing river on slippery rocks. The crossing is needed, but it's risky. Right? And sometimes you fall in and you get wet and sometimes you get bruised and sometimes you don't even make it across because sometimes peace isn't possible in that situation. There are those cantankerous type rascals that I mentioned earlier who just go through life picking fights with everyone they meet. So you can't always live at peace with people like that. However, focus on Paul's phrase, as far as it lieth in you or as far as it depends on you. Because the, how many know the hallmark of a Christian is the ability to get along with other people? The testimony of the church is the ability to get along with other people. We have God-given, scriptural, directed responsibility to pursue peace. And the Apostle Paul declared in 1 Corinthians 7.15, God has called us to peace. You may not be called to be a preacher, missionary. Sunday school teacher, but I can tell you what all of us are called to, and that's peace. Does that mean we agree with everything others say and do? No, indeed. How many know sometimes we agree to disagree agreeably? This raises the tough question. Is it our fault when the, when the stand that we take sometimes as believers causes division? If we have an alienate, excuse me, how do you say that? Alienated. Alienated. I knew I'd get it. I just had to wait on the Lord. If we have alienated someone and brought their anger upon us because we have done or said what is right, oh, have we ceased to be a peacemaker? No, not necessarily. Paul said, if possible, Live at peace. So Paul admits that there will be times that standing for the truth will make peace impossible to attain. Right? For example, I think it says, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 18, 19. Paul wrote to the church there and he said, I, I hear that there be divisions among you. And he said, I believe it. He said for in verse 19, there must uh, be also heresies. Now, heresies in that passage means fractions, factions, little cliques, and everybody taking sides. But he said, he said, for there must be also factions among you, that they which are approved and the Greek means genuine, may be made manifest among you, may be recognized among you. So Paul would not have said that if he meant for the genuine Christians to compromise the truth in order to prevent divisions at all cost. Amen, pastor. Because in fact, it was precisely because some of the Christians were genuine peacemakers that some of the divisions actually existed. Read it, 1 Corinthians 7.15, for example. And in that context, Christ tells us in Matthew 10, He says, Think not that I'm come to send peace to the earth. Remember that? 
He says, I come not to send peace, but a sword, for I come to set uh, a man at variance against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own, what? Household. In other words, we must love peace, work for peace, pray for our enemies, do good to them, greet them, long for the barriers between us to be overcome, but we must never abandon our allegiance to God and His Word, no matter how much animosity and drama it brings us. Right? Number five, peacemakers find hope in the final peace. Because how many know the conflict in this modern culture is far greater than any individual? Okay? The wounds run deep, and we feel hopeless, and we wonder, what can I do? What can anyone do? Well, a peacemaker finds hope in the certain knowledge that we may stumble, and we may struggle through this world of conflict, but someday soon, Christ is going to come, and he will bring the work of peace to completion. He will wipe every tear from our eye. Oh, hallelujah. See, we take, we find hope in that. That final peace. All right, all right, all right. Application questions. How can we grow as peacemakers? All right, got a few points here and we'll be done. To grow as peacemakers, we must continually, everybody say this word, mortify. Mortify sin in our own lives. Somebody shout out what mortify means. Kill. It, says pull. it really means pull the trigger. Mortify that sin. The more we conquer sin in our own lives, how many know the more effective we will be at helping others conquer it? People will more likely listen to us if we're walking right with God than if we're not. Also, we'll be more successful at helping others to victory if we're experiencing victory ourselves. So, we must continually confess and repent of sin to be effective at this ministry of peacemaking, realizing we've all messed up. We've all messed up. All God's children's messed up. Okay, number two, to grow in pe as peacemakers, we must be painfully honest. Now, where others ignore the problem or don't recognize the seriousness of it, peacemakers call sin, sin. Peacemakers call disobedience, disobedience. They call rebellion, rebellion. And we must recognize sin in our own life before we see it in others. And we must see our sin as what put Christ on the cross. You know that? It's our sin that divided us from God. And if we are going to grow as peacemakers, we must be brutally honest about sin, both individually and corporately. Okay, number three. To grow as peacemakers, we must be willing to risk pain. And I mentioned this earlier. Because anytime we seek to restore people to God and others, we risk being misunderstood. We risk being persecuted. And, and that's just the lot that falls peacemakers. It's no surprise that the text the next beatitude after this one is, blessed are those who are persecuted. For what sake? Righteousness sake. Okay? So if we're going to be peacemakers, you'll be willing to risk some pain, persecution. Number four, is that where we're at? Yeah. 
To grow as peacemakers, we must develop healthy communication skills. Now, healthy communication includes choosing our words and our tones carefully. Folks, some of God's people need to work on that. I thought it interesting. Proverbs 17, 27 talks about the wise person, okay? And, and it says, how the wise person spareth. Everybody say spareth. Spareth his words. Now, spareth means restrains. Okay? To restrain one's words means you weigh them. You consider their full potential effect before you speak them. Instead of simply speaking without much deliberation. Boy, I've met folks like that, haven't you? Hello? We should ask ourselves, will this offend? Is this going to hurt? Is this the best way? Is this the best tone? I can say that. Proverbs 29, 11 says that a fool says what's on his mind. Hello? That's what the scripture says. A fool just says what's on his mind, doesn't consider how others would respond. Wow. God help me not to be a fool. In addition, thought must be given to the tone. Uh, Proverbs 15.1, I think, applies here, where it says, a soft what? Answer or response. A soft response. What's it do? Turneth away wrath. But grievous, harsh, yelling words stirreth up what? Anger. It's been said that communication is 70% nonverbal. 70% nonverbal. Well, what is it? Tone. And body language. How many moms and dads we got in here? Raise your hand if you're a mom or dad. Haven't you ever noticed how your kids can say something to you and don't even have to actually speak it? Huh? That says a lot. I didn't say a word, but it says a lot, doesn't it? It's nonverbal communication. How many know it's a bad thing when families yell and shout at each other? Um, we find this a lot in, in uh, marriages. First um, Peter 3, 7, for example, Peter talks about the husband and wife's prayers can actually be hindered if they're not living in peaceful harmony. Brothers, if, if we're having trouble in our worship, maybe we better go home and get things straightened out with the wifey. Because that can hinder our prayers. Hello? Why? Because there needs to be peace. And, and, and unless there's real peace, I'm not just talking about you saying, all right, Ethel, we're not going to talk about that anymore, at least on the way to worship service this morning. 
That's not peace, that's a truce. That's actually Cold War. <laughs> no, we need, we need it to be resolved. That's when true peace comes, is when there's resolution. The message is clear. Christ said it in Mark 9.50. I quote verbatim, have peace one with another. That's a commandment. Mark 9.50. Okay, number five. To grow as peacemakers, we must return good for evil. Stop talking about the people that have hurt you. Because... Some people talk about those that have hurt them trying to hurt them back. How, how many know nothing disqualifies us in being peacemakers more than talking about people rather than talking to them? Because the peacemaker never says anything about other, uh, the person that she or he hasn't first said to that person directly. And then after that, why tell anybody else? Paul said, be not overcome with evil, but overcome what? Overcome evil with good. James 3.18 tells us, peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. I don't know about you, but a harvest of righteousness sounds very, very inviting. Don't we all need a harvest of righteousness in our families? A harvest of righteousness in our church. A harvest of righteousness in our nation. Well, well, never mind. That was a good place to say amen. Number six, to grow as peacemakers, we must develop perseverance. How many times uh, have you noticed that sin can take a long time to root out? I mean, often evangelism, prayers, conflict resolution will often not be immediate and not produce immediate positive results or fruit. However, though, Galatians, that's where Galatians 6, 9 encourages us. Oh, it says, don't grow weary in what? Well doing. For in due season, you're going to reap if you faint not. <laughs> don't give up. A harvest is coming. Somebody say a harvest is coming. And that harvest is a harvest of peace in this context. There's a proper time for peaceful harvest, and that time is within God's sovereign plan. He'll produce the fruit of peace if we don't give up. All right, number seven. To grow as peacemakers, we must trust God. We can't actually create peace. Only God can do that. We must sow the right seeds and trust God for the harvest. 2 Timothy 2, Paul writing to young Timothy says, The servant of the Lord must not strive. You know what strive means? Quarrel. The servant of the Lord must not strive or quarrel, but is gentle to all men. The Lord's servant doesn't quarrel because his hope is in God. Because he knows only God can change a heart. We plant seeds of peace. We water them, but God makes them grow. 
according to 1 Corinthians 3.6. Got to remember this. In addition, in addition, part of trusting in God is, is being faithful in prayer for the situation. Because how many know we should fight our battles in prayer before we fight them in person? All right. Broadway, are we growing as peacemakers? I hope so. With uh, which aspect, I, I think I asked this on your study guide, which aspect of growing as a peacemaker do you feel most called to develop or work on right now? There's surely one of those seven. But as we conclude, and Sister Jones, you can get ready to come. <clears throat> the last part of that verse says, we'll be called the children of God, right? Peacemakers will be called the children of God. What does it mean to be called the children of God? Well, in this context, here in the Sermon on the Mount, that phrase, children of God, actually can be translated sons of God. And here's why. Because in Jewish thought, the term son bears the meaning of partaker of the characteristics of. So to be called a child of God refers to someone who is becoming more like Jesus. Demonstrating Christ's character. Does this make sense? And so in the same way that Christ came to earth to reconcile people with God and people with one another, children of God, we are to participate in that same ministry. We're to take on that characteristic. Christ, the ultimate Son of God, was called the Prince of what? The Prince of Peace. Because He brought peace between God and people and people with others. And He's, he's committed that same ministry, the ministry of reconciliation was what Paul called it. He's, he's committed that to us. And sometimes it can be a difficult ministry, but we're all called to it. And how many know there's often a cost involved? And peacemakers are often the ones that pay that cost. How many know it, it, it cost Christ? It cost Christ. He bore a cross. How many know we must bear our cross as his disciples? Let me con conclude here a little bit of church history. I don't know if you've heard the name uh, Telemachus. Telemachus was a monk who lived in the early 5th century. Telemachus was praying one day, history says, and he felt God impress him. Three words, go to Rome. Telemachus packed a bag and headed to Rome. When he arrived in the city of Rome, people were thronging in the streets, seemingly headed in the same direction. So he stops them and he asks, where's everybody going? What's all the excitement about? And they told him, today is the gladiator games. We're all headed to the Colosseum. Telemachus was shocked. After all, Christianity had been the official state religion in the Roman Empire for decades now. Remember that? And yet the people were still thronging to watch others 
fight and possibly kill each other in the Colosseum for entertainment. So little Telemachus runs to the Colosseum. He hears the gladiators come out and say, Hail Caesar, uh, we who are about to die salute you. Telemachus was stricken in his spirit in the fact that he jumps over the railing in the Colosseum and he runs to the middle of the field. He gets between two gladiators and holds up his hands and says, in the name of Christ, forbear, a.k.a. stop. They said the crowd protested and began to shout and encourage the gladiators to take their swords and, quote, run him through, run him through. He said one gladiator came over and hit him in the stomach with the grip of his sword. Telemachus collapsed in the sand, cringed in pain, but got back up. And again, he said to them, in the name of Christ, forbear. The crowd, furious that their entertainment was being interrupted, began to chat, chant, run him through, run him through, run him through. So one gladiator come over and plunged his sword through that little monk's stomach. He falls to the sand. Sand turns crimson and red. And as the breath was leaving, Telemachus gasped and he said, in the name of Christ, forbear. History says a hush come over 80,000 people in the Colosseum. I said soon a man stood up, turned around and walked out. And then another one. And within minutes, 80,000 people emptied the arena. The story of that monk's courage began to spread. Obviously it was seen and heard by the emperor. And the emperor, they said, permanently banned those games. And that incident became the last known gladiatorial contest in the history of Rome. Telemachus found himself paying a high price for peace, didn't he? But he changed history. Huh? So as we stand together, may we commit to do our part in bringing peace. Because if we do, if we sow the seeds of peace, James, our Lord's brother, said, we will receive a harvest of righteousness. Somebody say, God, give me a harvest. I need a harvest. May our courage and willingness to pursue peace be what defines us as we follow the Prince of Peace. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for our blessed church family gathered on a Wednesday night here, Lord, just to study your word. And I pray that our hearts have been not only instructed, but inspired. 
And I pray that you would bind us together. Bind us together as that song says with cords that cannot be broken. And help us to keep sowing the seeds of peace. And remember a harvest is coming. In Jesus' name, all God's children say amen. Bind us together. Lord, bind us. Make it your prayer tonight. Bind us. Cords that cannot be broken. <clears throat> oh, bind us together. Oh, yes. Bind us together with love. Oh, there is only one God. And there is only one King. There is only one body that is why we sing oh bind us if you gotta go God bless you but if you can maybe we can just slip into these altars and just make this our prayer tonight so we close out this series God bless you. Bind us. We at Broadway want to say thank you for joining us in worship today via online. We want to invite you to like our Facebook page as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel. And please, if you don't mind, share us across your social media platforms. Let me just say a quick prayer of blessing today as we just conclude our time together in this video. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this avenue of worship that we have to utilize our online tools and furthering your gospel, furthering your kingdom. I pray that you would bless those who have tuned in today. Keep your hand on them. Minister to their hearts. Minister to their minds. And God, just do a work in their lives. We love you, Jesus, and we praise your holy name. Amen.